If you've got your Bible, I want you to put a finger in Leviticus, then turn with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1 and chapter 2. But Let's go ahead and stand as we open God's Word together. Like I said, put a finger there in Leviticus. We'll come back to it. But instead of reading seven chapters of Leviticus, I thought I would give you a summary of what it was pointing to to start with, to set the context to, to see that it was all a picture of the greatest sacrifice. In 1 Peter 1, verses 18 through 21, then we'll look at a couple of verses in chapter 2. We read, For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from the fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He was destined before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the times for you, who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. In chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, the people for His possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the One who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And Father, we thank You for Your mercy. We thank You that You are that perfect, spotless sacrifice that fulfilled all promises of all the sacrifices. Lord, we thank You that You have now made us a kingdom of priests and kings unto You. Lord, we serve at Your pleasure and for Your glory. Pray that You would help us to get just a little bit of a grasp of what it meant. For Jesus to be the one who bore the sins of the world. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Be seated. We've read the fulfillment. We've read, and we'll look at several other New Testament passages of how Christ fulfilled the Levitical sacrificial system. We're still on this journey. We've titled this series, Not Home Yet. We're not home yet. Just as in the book of Leviticus, the children of Israel had escaped bondage in Egypt, but they weren't home yet. Today, all of us are on that road. We're on that journey. read the story of a legend. No one knows for sure if this really happened or not, but the legend is told that there was a prince that was captured by Cyrus when he founded the Prussian Empire. When he captured this prince and his whole family, he had not killed them like he had taken uh, so many others into captivity, and even many had lost their lives. But he he told this particular prince, well, he asked him, he said, well, what would you offer me? (laughs) Knowing that Cyrus really probably could take it all. He said, what would you offer me if I were to let you go? He said, I would give you half of my riches if you would just let me go. Then he got a little bit closer to his heart, and he said, well, what if I were to let your children go? 
If I were to let your children go, what would you offer me? Now, I know there are folks here this morning that were kind of like, I hope the Lord never tests me with that. Um, may just let them keep them for a little while, right? Well, this was serious time in, in, in this prince's life, but he said, this prince said, I would give you everything I have. I'll give you all that I have if you'll let my children go. He said, what about your children and your wife? If I were to let your wife go too, what would you give? And he said, I would give you my very life. The story goes that the King Cyrus said, okay, you've got that kind of devotion. You would give your very life for your wife, for your family. Then you're free to go. And as this prince and his wife and his family made their way back to their home, that this prince said, wasn't King Cyrus a very handsome, majestic picture? And his wife said, I have no idea. I have no idea because I could not take my eyes off the one who would give his life for me. Folks, worship was will be so rich when we get to a place where we can't take our eyes off of the One who gave His life for us. As we travel on this journey, because we're not home yet, as we travel on this journey, we have to deal with something along the way, and that is called sin. We are in the world, but we're not of the world, and sometimes the world just kind of sticks to you. You pick up things along the way. Remember, In the upper room, when Jesus began to wash His disciples' feet, and He explained to Peter, unless I wash your feet, you will not be able to have anything to do with Me. And Peter said, well, in that case, don't just wash my feet, wash my hands and my head, wash all of Me. And He says, no, you've already been cleansed. Spiritually, He had already experienced conversion. He had put His faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But He says, your feet pick up dirt along the way. And that's part of the journey. We're not home yet. We live in a sin-fallen world, and we are going to pick up dirt and debris along the way. We all deal with baggage. Anybody ever felt like that? You ever felt like, man, I've got some baggage, and pastor, if you knew about the baggage I carry, listen, we all have baggage. It comes with living in a sin-fallen world. The problem with the baggage is when we don't deal with it. When we don't learn how to set it down. And we don't learn how to move on. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, we've already referred to. But it says that we're supposed to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us and run with endurance the race that is set before. So we've got to learn to put this baggage down. And then verse 2 gives us a little bit more clarity. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross. Got to set down the baggage. We've got to press on. Luke chapter 9 and verse 62, one of my life verses, the verse that God gave me when He nailed down, or allowed at least me to nail down that calling into ministry. Luke 9 and 62, He who takes hold of the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. So we know we're called to press on. Philippians says the same things, that we're press on toward the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. But sometimes it's hard to do with the baggage that we seem to have to carry. The Jews knew they had to keep going. They knew they had to press on toward this promised land. But they got tripped up and bogged down so many times because of sin. We will look at some of those sins in detail in the weeks to come. Something that they discovered in these Levitical sacrifices in chapters 1-7 through of Leviticus was that 
without the shedding of blood, Hebrews 9.22 says, there is no remission of sin. Sin has always cost something, and that something always pointed to the greatest price that would ever be paid for our sins, and that's the blood of the spotless Lamb, Jesus Christ. And so when you go all the way back to Adam and Eve and their first sin, and they tried to clothe themselves with fig leaves, God said, that's not enough. And He took the, the skin of an animal, which meant they had to see the first blood sacrifice, and see in that death, because Leviticus says the life is in the blood, and they saw in that first death that their sin was a big deal. And that's the thing about the whole sacrificial system. It shows us a couple of things. Number one, that our sin is a big deal, and God has to deal with it. But it also shows us we have a gracious and loving God who will pay whatever price and do whatever it takes to make us right with Him again. In light of the cross, in light of what we read in Peter's epistle, there is nothing we can offer to cover our own sin. We press on by the grace of God and by God's provision for our sin. And these sacrifices that we see the children of God offering are only pictures. They're a foreshadow of what God had for us. The Levitical offerings were to make an atonement for sin, to keep them clean and close to God, to remove the guilt so that they could travel on. But they were a foreshadow of the one and the only one who could ultimately do away with sin, handle our baggage so that we can press on. So I want us to keep a couple of truths in mind. First, that Christ fulfills every one of these sacrifices we're going to look at. All of them are fulfilled in Christ. I didn't see anybody walking in this morning with a bull or a goat or a ram. I didn't see anybody coming in saying, where can I buy the turtle doves? I don't have a lot of money this week. I don't have a farm. I don't have cows like some of the other people in the church to offer, so I just need to offer what I can. I didn't see anybody looking for that this morning. It's because we know that under the new covenant, the blood of Jesus Christ has already paid it all. So in every one of these sacrifices, we want to see how Christ is the fulfillment. But we also want to see that they did give an offering. They did participate. They were doing something here that was a picture of, I believe, for believers of our devotion to God. Our response to what God has done for us. So in every one of these, I want us to see, first of all, that Christ is the fulfillment of every sacrifice. But that we can offer a worshipful response with our lives giving ourselves to Him as well. We can travel on if we do this. We will get bogged down with baggage if we don't. Let's start it. We'll look at five sacrifices. Answer this question, why can I travel on? Number one, let's look at the burnt offering. I can travel on this morning because I am totally consumed. I am to be totally consumed with God and all that He is. This is found in Leviticus 1, verses 3-17, through 17, and chapter 6, verses 8-13, through 13, and I'll summarize that for you, so we won't spend all of our time reading this, but I would encourage you to go back and read all the minute details. You say, why are the details so important? Because they remind us that God is a big God who is worthy of our preparation and our worship and sacrificial giving to Him. There was a, a general propitiation here, a substitute offering for sin that signified a complete dedication and consecration to God. What was this sin offering? Or, I'm sorry, what was this burnt offering? It was to be totally consumed. It consisted of a bull without blemish, or perhaps if you had sheep, a herd of sheep, or if you had goats, you would bring a male sheep, or you would bring a goat. If you were poor, you would bring turtle doves, or you would bring young pigeons. 
in Madison County, Georgia, we might say, catch a couple of those doves you were hunting. Bring them with you. You would bring what you could and the best of what you could, depending on your wealth, and you would say, I'm going to give this as a burnt offering. And according to verse 9 in chapter 1, we read, the offerer must wash his entrails and shanks with water. Sounds a lot of fun, don't it? Then the priest will burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering. A fire offering of a pleasant aroma to the Lord. It was to be totally consumed on the altar of sacrifice. Jesus Christ was the one who was totally consumed for us. In Mark chapter 14, in in each of the four Gospels, we really get the same message that toward the end of the life of Christ, that He gave everything that He had. In in Mark chapter 14, in uh, verse 36, he's, He's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's saying, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not My will, but Your will be done. He was totally consecrated to the Father. He had given Him Self completely to the Father. Yes, He gave Himself for us so that He could give Himself ultimately to us, but first He was giving Himself completely to the Father. All that was in the cup. What was in the cup? It was all of the wrath of God that was to be poured out on all of the sins of the world forever and ever. All of my sin and the punishment of that sin was poured out on Christ, on the cross at one time. All of your sin and all of the punishment for sin All of hell in a moment of time was poured out on Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of the totally consumed burnt offering that is offered here. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, remind us that he became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. He had humbled himself, he had emptied himself, totally consumed, totally expendable, completely emptied himself of all of the glory, all of the divine attributes. He laid it all down for me and for you, that He might become sin for us. He gave everything. He gave His life for me and for you. Therefore God has highly exalted Him, given Him that name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus. And by the way, only the name of Jesus, because nobody else could have died for you, and nobody else did die for you to take care of your sins. This burnt offering, He was totally consumed for us, was given, he was given that name that is above every name, that every knee, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. How do we respond to that? How do we respond to that? I cannot literally lay myself down on an altar and say, set me on fire physically and literally. And, and if I give my life that way, if I'm consumed as a literal burnt offering, then God will uh, reward me with a place called heaven. It is a distortion of perversion for some of these religions like Islam to say, well, if you give your life as a martyr in the taking of many other lives, then the highest places of heaven will be reserved for you. Those who, we just went through 9-11 and, and remembered 14 years since 9-11, those who flew those planes into those buildings went from feeling the, the, the flames of that fire in that World Trade Center to feeling the flames of hell in a moment's notice, and they didn't know it. We cannot offer up ourselves like that. Christ alone gave Himself for your sin and for my sin. We received that by faith. But what can we give? How do we respond? 
Paul in Romans chapter 12 tells us how. He says, I urge you, I plead with you therefore by the mercies of God, what God has done for you already, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Now this is a living sacrifice. You don't die for your sins. Jesus died for your sins. But spiritually, you lay down your life for Jesus. Not to earn your salvation, but because He gave His life for you. You say, here I am, Lord. I am expendable. I want to be totally consumed with who you are. We give our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable act of worship. We avoid sin not because we want to be a worthy sacrifice, but we begin to avoid sin because we want to let God know that we are grateful that He paid the price for those sins. Give ourselves completely to Him. Not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Allowing Him to change us from the inside out. That means we abandon worldly pursuits. And we say, I want to be on fire for Jesus. I want to be set on fire. I want my soul to be set on fire. I want my life to be set on fire. I want to be passionate for Him. I want to be radical for Jesus. You say, well, wait a minute. Radical, that's a strong word. Fanatical, those are strong words. I looked up the word fanatic one time and it said to be zealous beyond reason. We have that language for sports, don't we? We're Georgia fans. We're zealous beyond reason. Doesn't even make any sense we're so zealous. Listen, it's beyond reason for me that Jesus Christ would give His life for me on Calvary's cross. How can I not be a fanatic for Him? How can I not be zealous beyond reason? Zealous and on fire, totally consumed with Him for what He did for me. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do it with all your heart as unto the Lord, not to man. We give Him all that we are and everything we are. Totally consumed with who He is. That's the burnt offering. Look at the next one, the grain offering. In every one of these, we'll see how Christ fulfilled it and how we respond to what He did. The grain offering we read about in Leviticus chapter 2, verses 1-16, through and then it's summarized again in chapter 6, verses 14-18. through the grain offering, or sometimes referred to as the meal offering, always would accompany the burnt offering. It would always be an expression of thanksgiving and an expression of true repentance. There were three types of grain offerings spelled out here in Leviticus chapter 2. There was the flour that was mixed with oil. It was an unleavened bread, but added frankincense was added to it. There were the flour and oil cakes that had been baked, and then there was the roasted grain mixed with frankincense. Portions of it were, were placed and consumed on the altar. But then there was a portion that was eaten in the tabernacle courts by the priests as part of their standing in between God and man. Being that mediator between God and man, the priests would eat a portion of that grain offering. I was thinking we were just singing a moment ago, in that song, He Loves Us, says, we are His portion. He is our prize. We respond to His sacrifice by giving ourselves completely to Him. Portions were burned on the altar. Portions were eaten in the courts. There was a separation that pictured that the body of Christ, and bread often represented the body of Christ, just like in the Lord's Supper, just like Jesus in and breaking that bread that was used in the Passover meal, said, this is my body which is broken for you. The separation of the bread, separation of the grain, was a picture of the fact that the body of Christ would be broken for us. The fact that it was absent, uh, had no leaven in it whatsoever. 
is a picture that Christ would be the sinless and spotless sacrifice. There's another ingredient in this bread, and that is the oil. In the Old Testament, oil was a picture of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, oil represents the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. The work of the Holy Spirit is seen through the oil. That's why I say that because of the grain offering, I am truly convicted. I experience this Thanksgiving offering when I realize that I've experienced genuine brokenness and genuine gratitude for what Christ has done for me. See, repentance has to touch the heart. Yes, it has to be fleshed out in action, but it's got to be that the Spirit of God convicts our hearts and we say, God, I know that what I've done is wrong and I'm sorry for my sin. And I know that the body of Christ was broken for that sin. Oil represents the Spirit's work in that process. In John chapter 16 and verse 8, Jesus says, when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will do what? He will convict the world of sin, of judgment, and of righteousness. The Holy Spirit not only convicts us, but the Holy Spirit is involved in regenerating us and sealing us. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30 says that we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. We're not supposed to grieve the Holy Spirit because we're sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. And the Holy Spirit fills us. Ephesians 5.18 says don't be drunk with wine, but be being filled with the Holy Spirit. That is a continual action. That means often in our lives we have to continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, when you came to know Christ as your Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit took up residence in your life. You say, how, how do I know that? Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 says, if we do not have the Spirit of Christ, we do not belong to Christ. We don't get Jesus without getting the Holy Spirit. I, I know sometimes we, we like to argue about that and say, well, I got saved when I was this age, and then I got the Holy Spirit later. No, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you the day you came to know Jesus, or Romans 8 is wrong in saying that you can't know Jesus without the Holy Spirit coming to live inside of you. The Holy Spirit is the one who, who makes that happen. So if we say that we have not the Spirit of God, we do not belong to Christ, according to Romans 8, 9. However, however if Ephesians 5.18 says, keep on being filled with the Spirit, that means that not every Christian who has the Holy Spirit indwelling is a Spirit-filled Christian. And so we need to consistently come before the throne of grace and say, God, I'm not worthy. I need the forgiveness of sins. I thank You for the atonement. I need Your Spirit to just overflow in me. And we need that fresh filling of the Spirit often in our lives where by faith we receive the fullness of God and walk in that fullness. Galatians says that if we walk according to the Spirit, we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Every day you choose whether or not you're going to walk in the flesh or walk in the Spirit. Then the Spirit empowers us. Acts 1.8 You shall receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be My witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. So now all of a sudden we realize that in My witnessing, listen, I can't give a grain offering to atone for My sin, but because Jesus' body was broken for Me and His Spirit comes to live inside of Me, I can witness for Him in the power of His Holy Spirit. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be My witnesses. Are we telling other people about Jesus? Well, let's not pretend to be Spirit-filled if we're not telling other people about Jesus and what He's done in our lives. Then that power gives us power to live. Romans 8, 4, the righteous requirements of the law are fully met in us when we walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. Say, I'm struggling this Christian life. I, wanna, I believe Jesus died for me. I believe He saved me. His body was broken for me. His Spirit came to live inside of me. And now I'm called to this new standard of living and I just can't do it. Well, good news. That's a good place to be. 
when you realize you can't do it, you can only do it by His Spirit. So His Spirit allows us to walk with Him in a way that is fully pleasing to Him. So the grain offering, I am truly convicted that I need salvation. That's the Spirit's work. But I am truly convicted that I need the Spirit of God in my life every day to help me walk with Him. The next offering is the peace offering. The peace offering says, I am triumphantly conciliated. Triumphantly restored to that relationship with God. We read about that in Leviticus chapter 3, 1-17. through And then again, it is commented on in chapter 7, verses 11-21. through It culminated in a communal meal to represent restored fellowship with God. Neat thing about this offering that kind of separates it from the others. Something had to be bought, uh, brought from the herd, if you had a herd, from the flock, if you had a flock, or one of the goats, if you had goats. And as I look around, I see a lot of you folks would qualify to give in some of these offerings. Herds or flocks or goats. But it had to be without blemish. It had to be the very best. This one gives a little bit of an exceptional clause. There could be minor imperfections if it was... Uh, it, it, was, it was a free will offering if you were doing this in addition to what you had already been responsible for. In this offering, the fatty portions were completely consumed on the altar, much like the burnt offering. The, the fatty portions of the, the sacrifice were completely burned up, but the rest became a fellowship meal for the family of the offerer. There were some Baptists in the camp. Said, we're going we're gonna to have the family at church, and we're going to eat. But it pictured the fact that Christ restored our fellowship with God. Having a meal together throughout Scripture was always symbolic of fellowship. Today I know it's symbolic of gluttony, but we see that we have meals together to fellowship with one another. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20 tells us that Christ fulfilled this through Him, through Jesus, God was reconciling all things to Himself making peace through the blood of His cross. This was a fellowship offering to say, you know what, we can now have fellowship with God again. We can have fellowship with one another again because our sins have been dealt with. Because Jesus went to the cross, we can have fellowship with God again. We were created, every one of us, we were created to have fellowship with God. I hope you young people stop sometime and just ask yourself this question, what on earth am I here for? You were created to glorify God, to have fellowship with Him. All of us, we were created for that fellowship. You understand the Scriptures. That fellowship was broken because of our sin. We are sinners by nature and by choice. Christ in His offering Himself to reconcile all things was making peace through the blood of His cross. He fulfilled on the cross the peace offering. Reconciling, 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, He has reconciled us to Himself through Christ, and and this is, this is the hard part, folks. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That means not only are we, through the cross of Jesus Christ, made right with the Father, but we've been given the responsibility to be right with others and to help others be right with one another. The ministry of reconciliation. By pointing them to Jesus Christ so they can have a relationship with Him. We're to be in this world peacemakers. Matthew chapter... 5 and verse 9 in the Beatitudes, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. 
We are never more like Jesus when we are leading people to Jesus and loving one another and encouraging others to be right with God and to love one another. Restoring fellowship between them and God and with one another. Peace offering that we make when we are glorifying Him, walking with Him, enjoying fellowship with Him. Enjoying fellowship with Him. Just enjoying spending time with Jesus. Remember a young lady in my youth group when I was serving in North Carolina. She was talking about all of her friends had some dates on a particular night. And she didn't. And she made this statement. She said, I guess I just don't have a life. All because she didn't have a date. Young lady, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Because she didn't have a date, she said, I don't have a life. And I thought when she said that, I, I thought it was so insulting to God Almighty because I remembered when I was a teenager. Now don't get me wrong, I dated and I went out and hung out with friends and um, I, I was the smart, mischievous one. I usually got away with stuff my friends didn't. No, I'm just kidding. Well, only slightly kidding. Um, I remember loving to hang out with the rest of the, the gang and, and I loved being around people. But I also can remember when I was... 15, 16, 17 years old. Those Saturday nights, the ball game's over. It's quiet. No date. No plans. Nobody's invited me to go do anything. And I find myself in my room. And I begin to open my Bible. And begin to read. Begin to get, get quiet and still before. Young people learn how to do this. Get still. Get quiet before God. There was a program that used to come on Saturday nights on the radio. Not Saturday Night Live, but it was called Saturday Night Alive. It was led by a fellow named Ron Hutchcraft, who I still hear on the radio to this day. But he was in charge of the New York area Youth for Christ. He had a radio program to help teenagers draw close to Jesus. And I would listen to that program, and I would open my Bible, and I began to really grow in my walk with God. And I thought the richest nights of my teenage years were not hanging out with the rest of the teenagers, even though that was rich, sweet fellowship, but were those times that I just learned how to have fellowship with God. I just got alone with Jesus and spent some time with Him. So don't ever be one of those people that when you have time alone away from the crowd to say, I don't have a life, that may be the richest moment of fellowship with God that you can experience. This was a peace offering. This was a fellowship offering. Number four, there was a sin offering. Sin offering. It says, I am transformationally crucified. God has changed my life. I can identify with Him. Jesus on His cross. Leviticus 4, all the way through chapter 5 and verse 13. Then chapter 6, 24-30. We see that this was offered for sins committed unknowingly. Remember what I said as we travel on, we just pick junk up along the way. Stuff just sticks to us in this world. And there are times that we commit sins of omission. Listen, somebody who comes to me and says, you know what? I live above sin. I never sin anymore. I'm like, you just, you just sinned right there. You lied to me. Because the Bible says if we say we have no sin, we are liars and make Him out to be a liar. We pick up junk. We omit stuff. Some of us this past week are not even aware that we didn't do some things we were supposed to do. Those are sins of omission. Those sins we've committed unknowingly that are part of just living in this world are we, we didn't prepare for that. It wasn't planned disobedience. Got caught off guard. Didn't see it coming. The high priest would offer, even for himself, the most holy in the camp, would offer a bull for himself. Other servants of the congregation there would 
that were in the tabernacle offered bulls. If you were a ruler, a chief administrator of some kind, you would offer a male goat. A commoner would offer a female goat. And the poor, yeah, they would purchase turtle doves. If they, whatever they could buy, they would make an offering. There were fatty portions again burned on the altar. But here's what they did with the rest here. Rather than have a family cookout, they would take it outside the camp. When it was for the high priest or the congregation, they would take it outside of the camp where it would be consumed there. It was a reminder that Christ would be made sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 The Lord made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Why did Jesus on the cross have to say, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? It's because God cannot look on sin. At that moment, Jesus became sin for us. He was our sin offering that we, the rest of 2 Corinthians 5.21, might become the righteousness of God in Him. He became sin for us that we might become righteousness in Him. He was, remember what happened? Where He, he, he began, he, he was bruised and bleeding and, and flogged within side of the city gates, but then He was taken out carrying His own cross outside of the city gates to completely give His life for us. Where do we come into this picture? How do we respond to this? We can't give ourselves as a sin offering, but we can give ourselves. Galatians 2.20 says this, I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but Jesus lives in me. We can come to an understanding that when we identify with Christ on His cross, that we have died to sin and died to self. In Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, lest we ever sing and celebrate the grace of God and say, well, because of the grace of God, I can just sin all I want to. That's what they were tempted to do in the first century. And Paul's writing to the Roman church and he says, no, no, how can we that are dead to sin keep on living in it? God forbid. You can't go on sinning that grace may abound. That is presumptuous with grace. And if we're being presumptuous with grace, we probably don't understand grace enough to have truly been saved. So if we have this mentality, if anyone here has this mentality, I know some people hate it when we preach the security of the believer, once saved, always saved. They say, if you preach once saved, always saved, people are going to start living like they want to live. Listen, if you want to live that way, then you probably aren't saved. If you say, I've come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ, I've given my life to Him, and, and now I can just go on sinning that grace may abound. You didn't experience true conversion. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away, all things become new. And so he says, how can we that are dead to sin keep on living in it? When we say no to sin, that is a sacrificial act of worship to where we're saying, Jesus, I believe in you, and I know you have something better for me than what this world has to offer. You have the very best. We need, we, Romans 6 again, verse 11. We reckon ourselves dead to sin. Dead to sin, but alive to Christ. That's our offering to Him. Not to earn our salvation, but because He bought our salvation. And then finally, there's the trespass offering. The trespass offering that says, I am thoroughly cleansed. I am thoroughly cleansed. In Leviticus 5.14, all the way through chapter 6 and verse 7, then again in chapter 7, 1-7, through 7, a ram was offered as restitution 
and a picture of the release of guilt from sin in our lives. And it foreshadows the fact that Christ would be our trespass offering. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. You were dead in trespasses. Anybody admit that this morning? Were we dead in trespasses? Absolutely. We all have to admit that, right? We were dead in trespasses, but alive, made alive in Christ, for He forgave our sins. He was our trespass offering. We are thoroughly cleansed, as we read in 1 Peter a moment ago, not by corruptible things, but by the precious blood of a Lamb without spot or blemish, the Lamb of God. When Jesus died on the cross, His last words were, It is finished. And that phrase, it is finished, doesn't just mean I'm through dying on the cross. It meant that the price for sin, everything that all of these sacrifices looked forward to, to to purchase the forgiveness for our sins, all of that, when Jesus died on the cross, when He hung His head and breathed His last, and He said, it is finished, it meant that the price for sin has been paid in full. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken away from it. Psalm 103 and verse 12. How far has Jesus removed our sins? As far as the east is from the west. Pastor, I don't feel clean. It's not about how you feel. It's about what Jesus did. See, see, if you live your life by how you feel, you're going to find yourself all the time saying, well, I picked up more baggage today. I don't feel so clean. But when we understand that it's not how I feel, but by what Jesus did, then we will start to feel clean. And if you feel clean, you live clean. I mean, when are you more likely to get dirty? When you're already dirty, right? But when you understand that you're clean, you will want to live clean. Dr. Rogers puts it this way, the me I see is the me I'll be. And if I begin to see myself in Christ as already clean, then I will live clean before Him. How does that affect the way we live and, and interact with others? Matthew chapter 6, 12 and 14, this is in the Lord's Prayer. We pray on a regular basis, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. He comes back after the prayer, after this model prayer in verse 14 and says, for if we can't forgive others their trespasses, how do we expect God to forgive us our trespasses? So our trespass offering to God today is to receive His forgiveness, but to offer it to anyone and everyone else. Ephesians 4.32, being kind one to another, tenderhearted. Forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven. Because Jesus is my trespass offering, I've been forgiven. And because I'm forgiven, I can forgive. That's grace. That's love. That's fellowship. Remember reading the story. I shared this at a couple of funerals since I've been here because it always seems very appropriate when you're standing beside the graveside of a Christian believer. Frank Peretti's first one I ever heard tell the story, but it was that a family had gone on a picnic. And while this family was picnicking, they packed everything, they got in the car, mom, dad, teenage son, and a little girl. They're sitting in this car, they're driving away from the picnic, and they realize that a bee has gotten in the car. This little girl, probably much like me, was highly allergic to bees. She knew that if that bee stung her, and perhaps in the wrong place, around the neck or the face or somewhere like that, that it could even take her life. 
And so this bee is buzzing around and this little girl is screaming, Daddy, Daddy, there's a bee. Daddy, Daddy, this bee is going to sting me. Daddy, Daddy, do something. He's trying to find a place to get the car pulled over. You ever been there before? Happened to me just recently, even at the end of this road up here where I'm getting out of the car, trying to get a bee out of the car. Scare you to death. Trying to find a place to get the car pulled over. She's screaming, Daddy, Daddy, there's a bee. There's a bee. And finally, the bee flies in front of Daddy before he can get the car off the side of the road. And he reaches and he grabs the bee. And the bee stings him right in the hand. He lets out a yell. Ow! He throws the bee down. The bee's not dead. The bee's flying around. And the girl starts screaming, Daddy, 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 there's a bee. you got to kill the bee. And he says, baby, you ain't got to worry about that bee anymore. Daddy, he's flying around. Daddy's going to sting me. He says, I promise you he's not going to sting you. <laughs> he reached in the back seat and he opened up his hand and his stinger was in his hand. He said, you don't have to worry about that bee anymore. Frank Freddy, when he told that story, he said, can we not pause for a moment to look at the nail prints in the hand of Jesus? And he's saying, all that baggage you want to carry, the sting of sin, the sting of death, Look at my hands. I've already taken the sting. The devil's buzzing around. Sin is buzzing around. The grave is buzzing around. It's a defeated foe. It can't hurt you anymore. Why? Because he was the perfect sacrifice that took the sting for us. We'll close with this passage. 1 Corinthians 15, 55-57. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Now the sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Pastor, you don't understand the baggage I'm carrying. Listen. You don't understand the Lord we're serving. He's paid the price. Even today to some of you, He's saying, bring me your baggage. Bring me your baggage and set it down at the foot of the cross. Would you bow your heads with me?